Let's turn to our second scripture reading, which is Romans chapter 8. Romans 8. And we'll only read uh, verses 18 to 25. Hear God's holy word. The Apostle Paul writes, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, But we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope, For what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Amen. Here ends the reading of God's holy word. We really could have read the entire chapter. It's just such a rich uh, chapter that will um, stimulate, I think, uh, God's people to thanksgiving. Maybe, Maybe as much as any chapter in the scriptures. Well, on this day of the year, of course, we are thinking about and we are uh, often reminding ourselves to be thankful for the the many blessings that we have in our lives. But today, I want us to to focus not so much uh, about the blessings that we have in the here and now, but also the far greater blessings that we will have when we spend eternity giving thanks to God. Paul speaks about these things here in this portion of Scripture in Romans 8, 18 to 25. He speaks about these many uh, eternal blessings, but he begins by speaking first not about blessings, but about the curse the curse due to sin that we all live under in this life. But again, this, this whole chapter, this whole eighth chapter is, I just encourage you to read it today, uh, it's so full of encouraging reasons to give thanks to God. In verse 1, uh, 
Paul begins by perhaps uh, giving us one of the greatest reasons that should cause us to give thanks. He starts by telling us how the Lord Jesus Christ delivered us from the condemnation that our sins deserve. He says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Our greatest problem, our greatest concern that should be on every person's mind, condemnation, the condemnation that sins deserve. It's been taken away through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ for those who believe, for those who trust in him. No condemnation whatsoever hanging over us any longer. And in verse 2 through 4, he tells us how Christ has delivered us not just from that penalty of condemnation, but also the power of sin to enslave us. He's delivered us from sin's power to enslave us to sin. No matter what uh, you feel at times with the power of sin, you are no longer a slave to sin if you belong to Christ. It cannot dominate you any longer. Through the Holy Spirit, you have the life of God within your soul, and you can turn from your sins and make a beginning of new obedience to the Lord. Sin can no longer enslave us. This is a great reason to give thanks to God. And moving on, he continues, beginning in verse 5, and here he tells us about this whole new pattern of life that we have as believers through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. We're no longer slaves to sin, and now we have a new life, a new lifestyle, a new pattern of life, being indwelt by the Spirit of God and being led by the Spirit of God, being led in the ways of God by His Spirit. He also tells us we have a new identity now as sons of God, adopted into the family of God. We receive the spirit of adoption as believers in Christ by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. We know the Lord, not just as a creator, not just as this great glorious God who made all things, but now as our dearest heavenly Father who loves us and delights in us as his children. So there's so much blessing, so much hope that rings out uh, in these verses and in this whole chapter. But uh, suddenly here in verse 18, that hope is contrasted with the sad reality of the sufferings of this fallen world. Paul calls them the sufferings of this present time. Yet even this suffering uh, is just a tiny blip in Paul's mind, just a tiny blip on the radar. It's minor. It is passing these sufferings. Their sufferings only of this present time. He says, for I consider the, the sufferings of this present time 
they are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. This is amazing, considering the Apostle Paul is the one saying these things. You think about the Apostle Paul, he was a guy who suffered. If anyone suffered, it was Paul. Not many people have suffered like this man did. He tells us of some of those sufferings in 2 Corinthians 11. He speaks of his toil, labor, imprisonments, countless beatings, being often near death, being whipped five different times to within an inch of his life, being beaten with rods, being stoned, being shipwrecked, adrift at sea, living in constant dangers, sleepless nights, going hungry, and thirsty, being cold and exposed. Constant persecutions wherever he went. Not to mention uh, the stress he felt, the anxiety he felt for all the churches. This was a man who suffered in many ways. And in light of all these sufferings, it's amazing that he says here, these sufferings are not worth comparing, not even uh, remotely worth comparing to the glory that is going to be ours. Now, most of us will never face uh, the kinds of troubles that this man faced. Subsequently, in early Christian history, many believers did suffer uh, terribly, of course, and all throughout history, but you think of those that were thrown to the lions, others burned as candles in the emperor's garden, many burned at the stake, and many more. But Paul's statement here is absolutely true for them as well and for us. No matter what kind of sufferings that we face in this life, they're not even worthy to be compared to what is coming. The glory of the future. Notice Paul's uh, first word here, his words in uh, verse 18. He says, I consider. He really considered these things. He thought about them. He, he pondered this matter. He thought it over carefully. And he thought about his own many sufferings. And uh, kind of picture him weighing uh, these things on a scale. On the one hand, all his sufferings that he went through. But then on the other hand, all that he knew was stored up in the future. The glorious future that God is preparing for his children. And he came to this conclusion. These sufferings are not weighty at all. They're not even worth comparing. They're just like a tiny little drop of water compared to all the oceans of the world. He says the same thing in 2 Corinthians 4, 
in a different way. He says, for this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. He's saying the same thing. Well, Paul's writing these things. He wants us to do the same thing. He wants us to consider these things that he considered. He wants us to weigh uh, on the scale, as it were, our sufferings and weigh them against what the Scriptures tell us about the glory of the future that God has for us. And we do think about our present sufferings a lot, don't we? Those are the things we ask prayer for. Uh, those are the things we will pray for ourselves a great deal. And there are many of them. Sin, our remaining sin, is a form of suffering. The brokenness that we have in this life, the effects of the sins of others on us, there's so much heartache that we go through in this life with uh, suffering in many ways and losing loved ones, broken relationships, disease, illness, death. Not to mention suffering for our faith at times, and that could certainly increase in the days ahead. And the whole creation suffers, we're told here. Paul says it groans. What an interesting image that is. The whole world is, is breaking down. It's falling apart. It's turning to dust. It is a fallen, broken world. And everyone in it is hurting and dying. But Paul actually says here, don't be overly focused on these things. You need to also consider the glory to come. That is what far outweighs all these other things. And you and I need to do that as believers. And we need to really uh, kind of force ourselves to do that. Don't just think about this life. Don't just think about uh, how it hurts. We need to focus on the future. And we, we need that focus on our hope of glory in order to be able to survive this present life. That's what carries us through. That's what encourages our hearts and keeps us going. Like the Apostle Paul, you need to say, yes, I, I see these sufferings. I experience them and I see the world suffering with sin and evil and corruption and brokenness. We experience those things, to be sure, but I will focus on far better things that are to come. I will take a stand by faith on God's promise of the future. I will trust in His Word. I will consider all these sufferings of this life to be a small, brief part of God's sovereign, eternal plan. 
Everything's unfolding according to his plan, according to his good purpose. And the end is going to be glorious. There's a hope of glory coming that will make all this pain and trouble look like nothing. And what is that hope of glory that's coming? Well, Paul tells us the entire creation is going to be reborn, remade. All of this cursed creation, the whole universe, all that is, will be made new. John says in Revelation 21, verse 1, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. The whole universe will be remade and perfected. And we will be perfected in glory, body and soul. Not just in soul. The moment you die, you go to be with the Lord as a believer. You're free from sin. You're perfected with the saints in that sense, but you don't have your perfected body yet. But in the eternal state, it will be body and soul reunited again. Glorified bodies. I don't know about you, but I'm starting to look forward to that. Because energy and strength and health are waning for us all aches and pains and uh, Google searches for something to help with this and that. Those, those are on the increase. Sickness is increasing for everybody as our lives unfold. But again, we have such good news to consider here. Philippians 3, verse 21 says, The Lord Jesus Christ will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body, his glorified resurrection body. We will have glorified bodies like that. That's just so good to think about. That's so encouraging. And notice Paul is not uh, in any way uh, anti uh, the physical. He is not uh, focusing on just the soul. No, the scriptural picture, the hope of the future that we have is very much about the redemption of our bodies. We can't imagine all that that's going to mean. We, we, only, we only can use our imaginations. I think it's, it's okay to do that, but it will be perfect wholeness, physical and spiritual, mental, emotional wholeness. Every part of us that makes us uh, human beings in God's image is going to be perfected. Again, think about Jesus' resurrection body and the little glimpses we get of, of him after his resurrection. Uh, walking uh, seemingly through locked doors, somehow getting into that room that was closed up tight, appearing out of nowhere, appearing here, appearing there, with an appearance that seemed 
different at times to uh, the disciples on the road to Emmaus, for example. Hardly recognizable at times to the people who lived with him for three years of his earthly ministry. You know, who knows what kind of limitations might be removed that we just think are normal to human life. I think we're going to have strength in a way that uh, we don't even imagine here. Um, knowledge, understanding, our intellect will work uh, the way it should. Hopefully our memories will be better than they are now. Uh, you know, our, I think our imaginations aren't even vivid enough to, to begin to fathom what glorification is going to be like. But it's going to be great. So great. It does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him. Again, Paul's also talking about the whole universe, the whole creation, everything that is apart from God. There's God, and then there's the things that God made. All of those things that he made that are under the curse now, they're going to share that glory of the children of God. Isaiah gives us a little picture of the new heavens and the new earth and what that's going to be like. He says in chapter 11, the wolf will lie down with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the young goat, and the calf, and the lion, and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like an ox. The nursing child will play over the hole of a cobra. And the weaned child shall put his hand in the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. What beautiful imagery that is. Boy, if you like the world now, the earth, the creation, as amazing as it is now, the recreated universe will be so much better, far more glorious. All the effects of the curse will be removed. Peace and wholeness in the creation. Peace between man and animals. Now, this is poetic language here, but I see no reason not to take this literally to mean well, that there'll be angel, uh, animals, first of all, in the new creation, but there'll be peace between us and them. Animals that we have no peace with now. You know, every once in a while we hear about somebody trying to do some foolish thing, swimming with sharks or uh, living with grizzly bears. A few years ago, there was that guy that tried to live out among the grizzly bears. Was it in Alaska? And that didn't end well for him or the the woman that was with him. But I, I, I want to take this literally. Imagine us 
being able to live with and play with and just frolic with animals like lions and tigers and swim with sharks, friendly sharks, maybe even fly with eagles. Who knows? My imagination is it's pretty, pretty creative. But this passage from Isaiah is just a beautiful hint of what it will be like. It's going to be so good. And this is what the whole creation is groaning for. And we should be longing for it too, to be set free from the curse, not just us, but all things, to obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We long for glory. The whole creation longs for it. It seems to me the Bible pictures uh, the final state of creation as being even better, grander, more glorious than the original state of creation before the fall. We often think of that and think, oh, wow, it'd be great if we could get back there. Things could be like that. But we're not going to just go back to how it was in Eden. It is going to be far better. And it's going to be better forever. That state in Eden was able to be lost. Man was able to sin and fall from all that and plunge the whole creation into this ruin. He won't be able to do that anymore. This is going to be a forever state of glory, everlasting glory. Again, contrast that that hope with our momentary and light afflictions. Our afflictions now are momentary. Very fleeting. They'll be over soon. Compare that to eternal glory. And they're light afflictions that we endure now. Sometimes they don't feel so light. But they're light compared to the weight of eternal glory. These afflictions are just going to last a little bit longer, just a little bit longer. But the glory to come is going to never, ever end. You may be really hurting in this life, but remember, those sufferings are going to fly away like a little wisp of smoke disappears. The Hebrew word for glory means weighty or heavy or substantial. That's the way that we should think about the world to come compared to this lightweight world that we live in now, this passing world with our momentary and light afflictions. We sometimes think of this life as the real life. This is where things are substantial and real, and uh, people would lead us to think that heaven is uh, some immaterial existence, an ethereal, even if it exists at all. But according to God's word, that's backwards. 
That's backwards thinking. This world is like the shadow that flees away. It's like a quickly fading dream, this life. The real, solid, unshakable world is the one to come. And it is coming. Maybe you read C.S. Lewis's great little book, The Great Divorce. That's one of my favorite books. In his story, a group of people take a bus ride from Greytown, which is this fallen world, and they take this bus ride to heaven. The whole thing is a dream. You don't really find that out till the end of the book. Sorry, I hope I didn't ruin that for you. You should read the book. They take the bus ride to heaven, and the whole point is to get a sneak peek of heaven to decide if they want to be there. If they want to stay there, they can stay if they want to. But everything there is so different. Everything is so gigantic and solid and real that the people who just arrived on that bus, they can't get used to it. Many of them can't stand it. They're like, they're like ghosts. Of course, Lewis is so great in the way he depicts this, but they're like these wispy little ghosts that are barely even visible. There's no solidness to them at all. And they're so weak and frail. It hurts their feet to walk on the grass of heaven because it's so solid. It's like these solid steel spikes under their feet. They have to grow and change to get used to that place. They don't have enough strength. In one scene, uh, a man tries to pick up an apple because it looks so beautiful and glorious, not like any earthly apple. It's like some treasure, and he tries to pick it up. This fool thinks that he's going to steal this apple and take it back with him on the bus because he doesn't want to stay. But he can't pick it up. It's just a little apple but it's as heavy as a house. That's just a beautiful way that Lewis depicts and imagines in an entirely imaginary way, of course, but how the new world will be compared to what we know in this life. It's going to be so real, so big, so perfect, so utterly free of sin and the curse. What a hope we have, people. And you may be going through a lot right now in this life. Many people are. The curse affects us in some terrible ways. But stop and consider these things like Paul did. Think on these things. If you trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, then your sufferings in this life, your very worst sufferings, all of them put together are like just little puffs of smoke going up, fading away. They'll be gone so soon They're like little stepping stones that lead to glory and perfection. The perfection of all things. 
And you who are in Christ, you are trusting in Him, that hope is certain. Your eternal hope is certain. 1 Corinthians 2, 9 says, Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor has it entered the heart of men what God has prepared for those who love them, who love Him. He's preparing these things now for each and every one of His people who belong to His Son by faith. So give thanks for the many blessings that you have in this life. We certainly should, but also remember to give thanks to God for those unimaginable future blessings that Christ has secured for you, that God has stored up for you in his blessed holy presence forever. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the great and awesome future that awaits us as your children. Lord, grip our minds with these things. Uh, we pray that these things would um, compel us and stir us to gratitude and to strong hope and, and to love for you and, and to diligence to serve you. We pray that you'd comfort your people who are suffering and give them uh, great encouragement uh, and even strengthen their endurance uh, through the consideration and uh, knowledge of these things. We ask all these things in Jesus' great and strong name. Amen.